Hello, Tommy here. Welcome to the online weekend experience. So glad that you have joined us. I'm excited to continue our conversation on emotions this week. Um, before we jump into a time of singing together, I wanted to let you know what's going on at Medina East. Um, to learn more about all the happenings, check out the website, medinaeast.gracechurches.org. There you will find all sorts of ways to engage, connect, and grow in your relationship with Jesus. This week, we are debuting a new way to give that we are calling text to give Simply text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the number on your screen, 844-806-4608. You'll get back a bunch of prompts. Follow those prompts. It's that easy. Text GIVE to the number. Um, if you have done online giving in the past, you can still do that. We're not stopping that. But we wanted to create another easy way for all of us to be able to give. Um, the heart of giving is for those who follow Jesus to worship and to express faith in God's provision and His faithfulness to us through that act of giving. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying, I need you to tune in. Yes, you, I need you to listen and hear this. Um, here at Medina East, we want to continue to improve our online weekend experience and learn how we can best serve you. Uh, in order to do so, we need your help. We need your feedback. If you could help us out by doing one thing, fill out a simple, quick survey, that would be incredibly beneficial. Below this video, you should see a link that will take you to a survey to fill out. Uh, the survey takes about two minutes to complete. It's fairly short and it is 100% anonymous. Simply click on the link below and it will take you to that survey. If you could please do this, it would be incredibly helpful. We want to find the best way to be able to serve you and filling that out helps us do that. As we head into a time of worship, I just want to say how much I miss each and every one of you. I'm excited for this time we have together online as we continue to learn about emotions. God bless. Love you guys. Hope you enjoy the rest of the service. Thanks so much for joining us here in week two of our series that we are calling Emotions. And so I'm so glad that you're able to join us here online. And uh, by the way, uh, we, we here at Grace are always trying to, to make the best experience we can for you. And so I would just encourage you, if you can, maybe just take two minutes after this message is done and help us out by filling out that survey that was mentioned in the announcements. That'd be so helpful and uh, that'd be really great if you could do that. But if you are just joining the conversation, if you're new to the whole thing, uh, last week what we did was we actually spent some time talking about emotions. We started by looking at the Bible together. And, uh, and here's what we discovered last week, just kind of a quick recap. Uh, we, we found that uh, the Bible's gonna tell us that emotions are from God and emotions are good. And so in other words, uh, what we found is we said, you know, emotions aren't bad. Uh, that emotions were something that God has created us with and we were created in his image. And that means that it's something uh, that is from God and is good. And then uh, we said that emotions are actually intended to move us. And so we discovered that one of the created uh, intentions of emotions is that they are intended to put our values into motion. And so we talked about that. And then we said, of course, that emotions reveal our values and our affections. And so what we said last week was we said that, man, our emotions are directly tied to the things that we value into our most deep and strongest affections. And so we had a chance to process through that. By the way, if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back. You can check that out uh, on our website and we would love for you to catch up in the conversation. But here's what we're gonna be talking about today. Okay, so we're gonna be saying, okay, if this is true, okay, if all these things on the, the screen are true, then why is it that our emotions sometimes seem to mislead us? Right? Why is that the case? Why, why does it look like? Why does it seem like our emotions lead us into um, hurtful, 
harmful, sometimes regretful things that are hurtful to ourselves and to others. Uh, why do we feel and experience emotions differently, right? Why do our emotions lead us all in different directions in different places? And really what we're going to be talking about this week is, you know, where's the breakdown happen as it relates to emotions? Where, where does that take place and, and how do we make sense of that? And so that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. And let me just say that for sure, there are a number of contributing factors uh, that play into our emotional makeup, right? And so, uh, for example, just to list a few, uh, one of the contributing factors is certainly things like our personality and our disposition. And so your, your personality is going to play a role in your emotional makeup. Your, um, your Enneagram number, right? If you're, if you're into the Enneagram or your disc profile or whatever personality test of your choice, if you like doing those kind of things, right? That certainly impacts our emotional makeup for sure. So personality and disposition. Another thing for sure is cultural context, right? Cultural context is an incredibly influential factor in our uh, emotional makeup. And so the family that you grew up in, the country in which you were raised, like that's going to play a piece in that. Even your ethnicity is going to play a role in your emotional makeup. We could probably spend a whole sermon series talking about the Italian temper, right? And that's a thing. And so there's actually some considerations there for sure. And then, of course, uh, physiology and psychology play a big role in that. You know, things like health considerations, neurological, chemical balances, all of those things certainly cannot be negated. They definitely play a role in our emotional, uh, our emotional makeup. And so while all of these, these contributing factors are true and they contribute to our emotional makeup, uh, I would say that there's a lot that we could say about each and every single one of these. And there actually is a lot that has been said about all of those. I believe that there's a very important and honestly an often neglected contributing component as it relates to our emotional makeup. And, and I want to talk about that. It's something that we see in the Bible, and I believe that it's essential to growing in our emotional health. And what is that? Well, I'll put it this way. Okay, I'll put it this way. Uh, I think the Bible is going to teach us that our emotions are miscalibrated. Okay, so our emotions are miscalibrated. You know, one of the reasons our emotions mislead us is because our emotions have been miscalibrated. Now, you might be thinking, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, um, I want you just for a moment, just for the sake of illustration, think, think for a minute about a compass. Okay, so if you, you think about a compass, a compass utilizes a set of cardinal directions, right? So there's north, south, east, west, and then of course you have everything that's in between that as well. And those coordinates that you have on a compass are good and they're helpful, right? They were created and they were intended to orient us, to lead us, and to move us in the right direction, right? It was intended to do that. However, when a compass becomes um, broken or it becomes corrupted, you know, I, I think we, if you've ever seen a broken compass before, it's not that the, it's not that the cardinal points themselves are broken. But what happens when a compass becomes broken is it becomes demagnetized. And as a result, it becomes uh, miscalibrated, right? And so when it becomes miscalibrated, what happens is it shifts and it rotates and everything becomes out of alignment with true magnetic north. And this, of course, leads to disorientation, it leads to confusion, it leads to frustration. And so, so the whole Bible is actually going to demonstrate that ever since Genesis chapter 3, which is the, the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, that ever since then, when humankind turned against God, that we are now in this state of misalignment with God. The Bible is going to call this state corruption, 
uh, it's going to call this state depravity. And maybe the most common term that's used for this state is sin. That humanity now lives in a state of sin. And the Bible's actually going to indicate that sin has corrupted and it's tainted every human faculty. And so, for example, the Bible's going to tell us that sin has corrupted our minds. And so in passages like Colossians and in Romans, it's going to talk about how our minds have now been depraved or have been corrupted because of sin. The Bible's going to say that our wills have now been corrupted. So Romans 6 is going to say that we are now slaves to sin, which means that we default to, uh, to certain desires that go against what God wants for us. And then even our affections. And so Mark in the book of Romans is going to, are going to talk about things like how our affections, how our passions, and how our desires now are oftentimes against the things naturally that God desires for us. And last week, what we discovered is we said that our emotions are directly tied to our affections. So because our affections have been corrupted, our emotions are going to follow suit right? They are going to be miscalibrated, kind of in the same idea. So our emotions have, have in a lot of ways, because of sin, have become miscalibrated. Our emotions often now lead us into confusing, different, and sometimes even wrong directions because we have turned away from the true magnetic north. We've turned away from God. And, you know, kind of like if you think about like a ship sailing through the fog, if we don't have an accurate compass to navigate, well, then we are susceptible to getting lost and we are susceptible to absolutely shipwrecking our lives if we're not careful. So, so in the Bible, um, you know, you might be listening to me say all this and you might be saying, okay, that makes, that makes some sense, but wh where do we see this in the Bible? Okay, well, in the Bible, I think that one of the clearest places that we see this principle play out is actually in Jonah chapter 4. And so I actually would love to invite you and encourage you to grab a Bible. And if you want to join me in Jonah chapter 4, that would be awesome. And so go ahead and get your Bibles. Uh, Jonah is actually a pretty small book in the Old Testament. And so if you need to look at the table of contents to find that, uh, feel free to do that. And go ahead and locate that. And as you're turning to Jonah chapter 4, what we're going to see here today is, I just want you to see this, that this is maybe one of the, if not the most, most emotionally uh, charged, most emotionally diverse chapters in all of the Bible. And it's, it's pretty cool. So we're going to look at that. So as you're finding Jonah chapter 4, let me just give you a little bit of a summary of the book of Jonah, because this is actually the last chapter in the book of Jonah. So here's a quick summary. I know for a lot of us, when we think of Jonah, what maybe comes to your mind is you think of the big fish, right? That's kind of what Jonah's known for. And of course, that is a piece of the story. But uh, actually, believe it or not, it's a very small piece of the story. The book of Jonah is an incredible book. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing. But here's a snapshot. Jonah starts off, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he says to preach against it. But Jonah ends up running in the opposite direction. So basically, Nineveh was a country that was against God. Um, they were uh, known for horrendous things that they had done. It was a nation uh, that committed some pretty serious and pretty heinous war crimes. And so God, the Bible says, saw this and asked Jonah to go preach against the nation. But the Bible tells us that Jonah, rather than listening to God, he decides to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And so he turns away from what God wants. And then what we see in Jonah is that God, rather than giving up on Jonah when Jonah runs from him, he pursues him in grace and he actually gives Jonah a second chance. And so you read about that, and that's actually where the fish comes in to the whole story. And then what happens is Jonah ends up going to Nineveh, just like God said, 
He preaches to the people, and then the Bible tells us that that entire city, the whole city of Nineveh, ends up repenting and turning themselves to God. It's an incredible story if you read Jonah. And so what I want you to notice now is we're going to start actually in chapter 3, verse 10, the last verse in chapter 3. And I want you to notice how it ends. It says this. It says, When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Okay, so this is pretty amazing. This is a really amazing picture you see in the Bible. Here's an entire nation of people who basically have turned their backs against God. Jonah comes in, he preaches a sermon, and the Bible says there's an entire national revival. All of these people, the whole nation, turn themselves to God. And you would think that that'd be pretty amazing, but I want you to notice Jonah's response, and this is how chapter 4 starts. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Okay, so, so like I told you, Jonah chapter 4 is an incredibly emotional chapter. And right out of the gate, you're going to see two emotions that Jonah displays. And what are they? Well, first off, it says, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Uh, now, some translations there will say Jonah was disappointed. And the Hebrew word that's used here literally means to grieve with disappointment. So in other words, Jonah's bummed. Okay, so we see Jonah's bummed out. And then on top of that, he's angry. So two emotions. What do you see? Jonah's bummed. He's disappointed. And Jonah's angry. So I guess the question would be, why? Why is he bummed out and why is he mad? Well, um, it actually is going to tell us. Look in verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than it is to live. Now, did you catch that? This is amazing to me. Do you notice that Jonah is upset? Why is he upset? He's upset because God is gracious, because God is compassionate, because God is slow to anger, he's abounding in love, and because he relents from sending calamity. So in other words, the reason that Jonah's upset is he's upset because God showed grace. He's upset because God saved these people. You know, one of the things that you're going to discover if you read the book of Jonah is that Jonah hated the Ninevites. History actually reveals to us that the Ninevites uh, were the Israelites' greatest enemy during this period of time. They did horrendous things to the Israelite people. And so the Bible says that Jonah was mad at God. He was upset with him, and he was disappointed because these people had been forgiven. Now, watch what happens next, because what the Lord does next is going to be is going to ask a question that is really thought-provoking. So, so look at this. Here's what he says. But the Lord replied, uh, Is it right for you to be angry? Okay, is it right for you to be angry? This is a very important question that God asked Jonah. Some of you have different translations. It might say, for example, if you have the English Standard Version, it might say, uh, do, you, do you do well to be angry? Uh, or if you have the New American Standard Bible, it might say this, do you have a good reason to be angry? You see what God is doing here. I think this is very important. God is actually inviting Jonah to examine his emotions. He says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it, do you have a good reason to be upset right now? And Jonah, I think like maybe many of us do, he ignores the invitation to examine his emotions and he decides to ignore them. And so look what happens. Verse 5. So Jonah went out and he sat down in a place east of the city. So he just goes off. He ignores God's question. And the Bible says there he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. 
And so Jonah uh, is angry. He's a, little, he's a little bit in a pouty mood, and he goes, and the Bible says that he basically perches himself in a spot where he can sit and watch the city and see what happens here in the city. Now, what God is about to do next is something that might seem really bizarre to some of you, especially if you've never read the book of Jonah before. Uh, but I want you to see that this is absolutely brilliant, what God does next. So, so check this out, verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, a leafy plant, hmm, and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. All right, so, so check this out. Jonah goes up. He's upset. He's purchased himself up in this place to watch what God is going to do to the city of Nineveh. And the Bible says that God provides this leafy plant for Jonah to give him shade. So, um, so Nineveh, uh, commentators point out that it would be located in like modern day Iraq. And in modern day Iraq, the mean daily maximum temperature is about 110 degrees. And so, so God um, gives Jonah a little bit of a sun umbrella, right? It's a very nice and kind of gracious thing that he does. And notice what the Bible says about Jonah. It actually uh, focuses in and it tells us his emotions. And he is very happy. He's very happy about this. So, so here's another emotion that we see with Jonah. He was bummed. He was angry. Now he's happy. Now he's happy. And not just happy. He's very happy. In fact, in the original Hebrew language, uh, the Bible is going to tell us that the word happy is repeated twice. So he is not just happy. Okay. He is happy, happy. He is not just happy. He is uh, elated. He is over. He is overjoyed about this, this little leafy plant. Now, here's something I think is noteworthy. Um, that Jonah's happy. The Bible tells us that he's exceedingly happy. But this is the first time in the entire book of Jonah that Jonah is happy about anything, about anything at all. This is the first time this emotion has ever been attributed to Jonah in this entire book. And I, I think this is really important. I think God is drawing this out of Jonah. You know, being saved from drowning didn't make Jonah happy. Seeing an entire city repent and turn to God didn't make Jonah happy. So what is it that makes Jonah happy? Well, it's this leafy plant, right? It's this, this little thing that, that makes his life easier and gives him comfort and gives him relief. And so it's this leafy plant that makes him happy. So let me just pause here for a minute and uh, let's stop talking about Jonah for a second and let's start talking about me and you. You know, I think oftentimes when we read the Bible, we actually find that the Bible is reading us. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but I know I have that a lot, that the Bible is starting to read my own heart. And so here's a question I want to ask you. I want you to maybe think about in your own mind and heart, in the living room or wherever it is that you're sitting. And here it is. What are your leafy plants? What are your leafy plants? Um, and, you know, the truth is, I think... All of us have leafy plants. And so my question is, what are your, what are your leafy plants? What are your leafy pants? Uh, not pants. What are your leafy plants? I don't know if you have leafy pants. If you have leafy pants, that's an entirely different issue. But what are they, right? So, so in other words, what are the things that make you overwhelmingly happy? What are the things that you, you daydream about? Uh, do you have anything in your life that you simply feel like you have to have to be happy? And I think that could be a lot of different things. And so maybe for you, for example, maybe your leafy plant... It's like your morning coffee, right? You're like, I just, I just got to have my morning coffee. Maybe for you, it's your, your Starbucks, right? You, you love to go to Starbucks, and every day you get your, you know, mocha, choca, frappa, latte, whatever it is, or I'm just making this stuff up. I don't know. Maybe it's something like that, right? It's just something that brings you joy, something that makes you smile, something you daydream about. 
Maybe for you, it's your car. You know, maybe you, you have a car that's got all the bells and whistles and the heated seats and all that kind of stuff. Maybe for you, maybe for you, what makes you happy is a clean house. You're like, oh Lord, if my house is clean, it just brings peace to my soul, right? And that's how you, you feel about things. Maybe for you, it's a room in your house. Maybe it's the man cave. It's the 82-inch flat screen. Maybe it's your video game system. Maybe it's your phone. I'm just saying, it could be a lot of different things. But what is your, what are your leafy plants? And you know, I just say, if you want to identify what your leafy plants are, I think there's a good question you can ask. Here, here's a question you can ask is this. When negative emotions run high, fill in this sentence. If only I had blank, then I'd be okay. If only I had, you know, whatever. If I just, if I just, if I just had this kind of food, if I just had this kind of drink, if I just had whatever, then I would be okay. If I just had this person, if I just had whatever it is, that would be something. And I think that what this helps us do is it helps us identify maybe what some of our leafy plants are. Now, just to be clear, I want you to hear me. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to thank God for everything, even the small things that we have in life. God actually desires our happiness. He, he wants that for us. In fact, we're actually going to spend an entire week in this series talking about happiness. I think sometimes, uh, especially in Christianity, happiness can be misunderstood. But here's the issue that I think God is drawing out. I think the issue is that, is that God is, it's not that God is so concerned that Jonah is happy about the leafy plant. I think it's that God is concerned that Jonah is only happy about the leafy plant. This is the only thing in the book of Jonah that makes him happy. And so I think it's important that we ask the question, right? You gotta ask it, what are your, what are your leafy plants? Because you know, in Jonah, you actually see a staggering comparison here. Right? What makes God happy? What makes God happy in the book of Jonah? Um, showing compassion to people, right? Being gracious, seeing an entire nation of people turn away and tur turn away from their destruction and turn away from their sin and turn, turn towards him. That's what makes God happy. Those things make Jonah angry. Those things make Jonah disappointed. What makes Jonah happy? His plant, his happy little plant that he has or whatever, whatever that might be. I think it's clear when you look at this that there is a heart misalignment and there's a miscalibration. Jonah's heart and God's heart um, are very, very different. And I think the reason that God and Jonah experience emotions so differently is because they value things so differently. Right? And, and, that, and then God is drawing this out here. And so I want you to see what God does next because God is going to do something really interesting. So check this out. But at dawn... The next day, God provided a worm. I love this little worm, by the way. And he chewed the plant so that it withered. So the Bible says God sends this worm. The worm must be, you know, I don't know, supercharged with some kind of turbo juice or something because the Bible says he devours the plant so that it withers the next day. And then look at this, verse 8. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. Now, uh, just a quick side note. I think it's really interesting. In the book of Jonah, one of the points of irony is that throughout the book of Jonah, everything listens to God. Uh, the fish listens to God. The worm listens to God. The plant listens to God. The wind listens to God. Everything in the book of Jonah listens to God but Jonah. And I think, again, this reveals to us that as it relates to the heart of humanity, there is something that is amiss, right? There is something that is amiss. But I, I want you to notice, do you notice what God is doing here, right? Think about this. Jonah loved the plant. And so God destroyed something 
that Jonah loved, something that made Jonah happy. God loved the Ninevites, and Jonah wanted God, wanted God to destroy them. And what God is doing is he's evoking certain emotions in Jonah. I don't know if you're starting to get a glimpse of what God is doing, but God, God, sees, God sees that Jonah's heart and his heart are so different. I think this is what's going on. Jonah sees that there, or God sees there's such a difference between his heart and Jonah's heart. And basically, he looks at their heart and he's thinking, how can I get through to this guy? And so what God does is he finds something that Jonah loves. He finds something that makes Jonah happy, right? Something that Jonah's compassionate towards. And God says, okay, I can work with that. He finds a tiny little corner of compassion in Jonah's heart. And God is so masterful at this. And he says, okay, I can work with that. And I think, I think that this it causes, uh, that God is now going to come in. He's going to ask Jonah once again this very important question. And here's the question. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is it right? Now, I don't know if you noticed, this is now the second time that God has asked this question to Jonah in this chapter, the second time. I, um, I love uh, what one time I heard uh, the Reverend Bishop Joey Johnson. I really like the way he said it. He said this. He said, how many times does the Bible have to say something for it to be important? Once, right? And so whenever the Bible says something more than once, I think that means that it's, uh, it's extremely important. And so this is a very important question that, that, that the text is drawing our attention to. Is it right for you to feel this way about the plant? And so we'll get back to this in a moment because I think this is such a crucial question. So look what happens next. Jonah actually listens this time. He actually responds to God. He said, it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I am right. I am right to be mad about this. He said, and I'm so angry. I wish I were dead, right? So he even takes it even further. He says, I'm so mad. I'm so upset that I, I've lost my will to live. I wish I was dead all the way to this point of despair. You see, I think, like I said, this is a very emotional chapter. Jonah was angry, and then he was happy, like exceedingly happy, and now he's angry again, and not just angry, but this time he's angry to the point of despair. He basically is saying, look, I'm so mad life isn't even worth living anymore. And again, this is an emotional response that is revealing to us something about Jonah's heart. So again, let's just pause for a minute and I think, let's stop talking about Jonah. Let's talk about us again. I think this, this forces us to beg a really important question. So here's the question I want us to think through. What, when taken or when is threatened, uh, causes you to be angry to the point of despair? It's a really important question. What, if it's taken from you, it causes you to feel as if that, you know, all meaning in life is gone? What, if it's taken from you or it's threatened to be taken, would make it hard for you to get out of bed tomorrow morning. And it could be a lot of different things, right? It could be comfort, it could be security, it could be relationships, it could be financial security. Uh, it, could be, it could be beauty. It could be, it could be a number of different things that if it was taken from you or if it was threatened to be taken, it would ask you to, it would, it would cause you to ask the question, is life even worth living? Maybe it's your health, maybe it's, Maybe it's your family or whatever that might look like. It might cause it to happen. Now, I think for sure this is an incredibly relevant question to the situation that we find ourselves in today. Right? I think with the quarantine and with everything that's happening in coronavirus, I think we're seeing that this question is, is very applicable to us right now. You know, according to one article that I was reading recently, the suicide prevention uh, hotline 
uh, has seen an estimated 338% increase since the quarantine started. And so what that means is that there are three times the amount of people who are calling the suicide prevention hotline during this time. Now, why is that? Well, uh, there, there could be a lot of different reasons. And so I don't want to say you can't attribute it to just one. But I think for sure, maybe part of it is that a lot of the things that we put our hope in and a lot of the things that maybe we look to, to, to bring us happiness and to bring us joy in this life have maybe been shaken or have been threatened, maybe even to the point of, of despair. And, and so I think uh, what we see is that, is that oftentimes like Jonah, when there's things in our life that when they're taken, they cause us to, to be angry to the point of despair, that we like Jonah are plunged into a state of existential despair. And, and so I think for sure we see that here in this passage. You see, I, I think what this does is I actually think it introduces us to one of the ways that God shows grace towards us. Now, I want you to stick with me for a second because this is going to sound really strange to some of you, but I want you to hear me out. I think God's grace comes in various forms, all kinds of forms. But I believe that one of the forms that God grace shows up to us is that sometimes God, sometimes God destroys our leafy plants. I actually think that this is a form of God's grace. Sometimes God destroys our, our leafy plants. Look, why is God toying with Jonah's emotions? Why does maybe sometimes, why does it seem like maybe sometimes God is toying with our emotions? Is it because God's vindictive? He likes to watch us squirm and he's unloving? I don't think that for a minute. I don't believe that that's true. I think the reason God does this is because he actually loves us. I think the reason God is toying with Jonah's emotions is because he loves Jonah and because God cares a whole lot about Jonah's heart. And God knows that our emotions are the telltale sign of our heart. Look, here, here's what I believe. I believe that deep down in every single one of us, you know, we, we are oftentimes serving many gods. And I know some of you might be saying, man, I don't worship God. You know, I'm, a, I'm not a religious person. I don't even believe that there's a God. I'm still trying to figure it out. But here's what I believe. I believe that we all worship something. Right? We all look to something to be the ultimate source of security, of identity, and of truth. And listen, even for those of us who follow Christ, it is really easy for us to say that we worship God. It's easy for us to profess that with our mouth. And yet at the same time, at the same time, what happens is that we habitually and oftentimes even unknowingly look to other things in place of God. We're always doing this. You know, throughout history, one of the things that's been said about the human heart is that the human heart is an idol-making factory. And I really like the way that, uh, that that's said. Our, the human heart is an idol-making factory. If you're not sure what an idol is, an idol basically is something that we look to to be and do what only God can be and do. And therefore, I think because of that, sometimes the most loving thing that God can do, sometimes the most loving thing he can do is he can remove our leafy plants. He can chop down our leafy plants. Now, I know some of you might be thinking when I say that. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want to serve a God. I don't like a God who takes away the things that make me happy. I want a God who's going to give me the things that make me happy, right? To give me the health that I need, to give me the family that I want, to give me the things that, you know, even the little things that make me happy. That's the kind of God that I want. Now, I would contend with you that if that's the way that God was like, that he actually wouldn't be a God who loves you at all, that a God like that wouldn't actually love you. 
you're like, well, how do you figure? Well, I think those of us who parents who are parents really understand this, right? A major part, is it not true that a major part of parenting is destroying leafy plants? Like, isn't that a big part of what parenting is? Like the job of a parent so many times, a massive part of parenting is making our kids exceedingly angry about things. And it's not because we don't love them and we don't want them to have joy in this life. It's actually the opposite. It's because we do love them and we know that if all they eat is candy, that they're not going to be healthy people. And we know that if we give them everything they want all the time, it's just going to make them self-centered and spoiled. And so I would actually even say this. I would say that if you find that sometimes you're mad at God, all right, and let's just be honest, I think all of us have felt that. I think if sometimes you find that you're mad at God, I actually think it's a good sign. I think it's a sign that God is a good parent who loves you. And in the same way, right, that it's a good sign that a three-year-old is sometimes mad at her parents, it is a good sign that sometimes you feel upset at God. I think it reveals to you that God, God maybe knows stuff we don't, and he loves us a whole lot. I believe God loves you so much. He cares about you. And I believe that God sometimes tears down our leafy plants because he knows, because he knows, because he knows leafy plants make lousy gods. They make terrible gods. You guys, nothing, nothing in this world is capable of bearing the weight of your worship and your hope. But God, there's nothing else that can do that. And listen, if we keep fixing our hope on things that are unstable, things like economic security or relationships or our ability to, to feel like we're in control, we are always going to find ourselves on the brink of emotional breakdown. And the reason for that is because those things are so unstable. And so sometimes the most loving thing God can do to us is to shake those things and is to remind us of their instability so that we would be able to put our trust and our hope in him. I want you to notice how this, this whole thing ends. So here's the final verse. It says, but the Lord said to Jonah, Jonah, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And so should I not have been concerned for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also so many animals? It's actually a really fascinating way the book ends. The book of Jonah ends with an open-ended question, which seems strange. But notice the question that he asks. He says, Jonah, you've been concerned about the plant. Shouldn't I be concerned for the great city of Nineveh? You know, actually, the word concerned is actually kind of a weak way to translate that from the Hebrew language. The Hebrew word literally means to grieve and to mourn and to be anguished. So do you see what God's saying here? God is saying, Jonah, Jonah, look at what you weep over. Jonah, look at what I weep over. Jonah, look at what concerns you, what you're anguished over. Look what I'm anguished. Jonah, look at what you love and look at what I love. Look at what makes you happy and look at what makes me happy. Jonah, pay attention to your emotions. What do they reveal? Jonah, what they reveal is that you are all about yourself, man. Your love flows inward. You are constantly worried about yourself. You're weeping over your own troubles. You're always saying, poor me, poor me, poor me. Jonah, that's not what I'm like. Jonah, I, I, my love flows outward, not inward. I care about these, these people. I care about this nation. I care about watching people turn from their sinful ways and turn to me. Jonah, Jonah, who is it that you ultimately exist for? Whose glory are you really after? 
And I think God is drawing this out. And I'm just telling you, man, when I read this, don't you see yourself in this? I mean, I do. I read this and I'm like, man, this is like a mirror showing me what's in my own heart. And I love the way the entire book of Jonah ends. It just ends with this question, this, this open-ended question. That might seem like a strange way to end the book, but commentators actually point out that this is very brilliant on the part of the author. And the reason that it's open-ended is because the author is actually inviting us to leave the answer up to us. He is inviting us to see ourselves in the story and to process through our own lives and through our own emotions in the same way that Jonah has done this. That's what we see. You see, as long as our heart is out of sync with God's heart, our lives are always going to be frustrating. They're always going to be confusing. And our emotions are going to be miscalibrated, right? They're going to be misaligned. So here's the question. You might be hearing this and saying, okay, this is all really good. This is helpful. What am I supposed to do with this? What do I do with a teaching like this? What do I do with Jonah chapter 4? And so what I want to suggest as I kind of end our time is I just want to talk very practically about five steps to recalibrating our emotions. Okay, so in light of what we just read today, practically speaking, what are some things we can do to recalibrate our emotions? All right, so let's just go through them quickly. Here's the first one. First and foremost, it's pretty clear that we need to identify them, right? We need to identify our emotions. So real simple, I think it starts here. Just ask, what do I feel? What do I feel? Ask the question. You know, for some of us, we never even get this far. We won't allow ourselves. For some of us, we're so quick to try to shove our emotions to the side or to suppress them that we never just even stop and ask, like, what am I feeling? And be honest about it, right? Like, man, I'm, I'm feeling off. I'm feeling bummed. I'm feeling, I don't know, for some reason I'm feeling anxious. And just, just identify it, just identify it. So that's first. Here's the second thing. Examine it. Examine the emotion. So not just, don't just acknowledge it, don't just identify it, but also examine it. Ask the question, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this way? Just stop and really think about it. Why do I, why do I care so much? Why did that bother me? Why did that bother me so much? Why, why am I avoiding that person or that situation? Why, why do I feel so scared and so anxious? Like, really, what's behind that? How come I feel jealous when I see other people's posts on social? What, what's going on in my heart? Why do I sometimes feel so critical? Why did that offend me? So I think we just have to stop and examine. You know, part of the reason why I think we don't ask this question right here is because for some of us, we're kind of scared of what we're going to find. You know, like we said already, our emotions report to us much more honestly and much more accurately than our words and our claims, what we love and what we worship. And like we talked about last week, it's like smoke to a fire. Our emotion is like smoke that points to a fire. And so we need to trace it. We need to look into it. We need to examine it. Here's the third thing. We need to evaluate it. We need to ask this question. Is it right to feel this way? Is it right? This is the question that God poses to Jonah twice in this passage. Jonah, is it right for you to feel this way? And I would say, especially if you're a person who follows Christ, if you're a person who would say that you have your, your faith is put in God, this is a very, very important question for us to ask. I think we need to ask this question because this is an opportunity for us to remagnetize our heart to God's heart, to recalibrate. It's okay to be upset about the things that upset God. And it's okay to be happy about the things that make God happy. But when we find that our emotions are contradictory to God's emotions, I think it's revealing that there's something amiss. There's something out of alignment in our hearts. And this is why I think it's so important, by the way, to spend time in the Bible, to, to study 
to read about Jesus, to read about his emotions, and to line ourselves up with him. I think the question we have to ask here is, is not only is it right to feel this way, but we also have to ask, what is going on in my heart that God is trying to expose and God is trying to change? All right, now that is a risky question, but I dare you to ask it. Now here's the fourth thing. Pray and confess. Pray and confess. So admit to God. Admit to him. God, this is what's going on in my heart. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on in my heart. I want to confess it to you, and I want to pray to you, and I want to ask for your help. Man, this one's so important. You know, I think oftentimes we, we just want to change the way we feel. So we want to go from being sad to happy. We want to go from being anxious to feeling peaceful. But I think here's the great truth. What we need fundamentally is not new feelings. What we need more than anything is we need a new heart. We need, we need to have reshaped affections. That's what we need. Listen, it's, it's not so much that you have wrong emotions. It's that oftentimes we have misplaced affections. We have unknown idols. And when our hearts are reshaped, our emotions will also follow suit. But here's the reality on this. We need new hearts, but here's the truth. You and I cannot simply create new hearts within ourselves. That is something that we absolutely cannot do. And that's why we have to pray, because that is something that only God himself can do. In fact, you know, the Bible says that when we put our faith and we put our trust in Jesus, the Bible explains that the spirit of God himself begins to give us new hearts and he renews and he transforms us. And that includes our emotions. And so listen, God is not after a morally restrained heart. That's not what he's after. He's not about us pretending like we don't care about the things that we actually care about. What God is after is he wants to see true transformation take place all the way down within our hearts and then within our emotions as well. And that's only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And so let me just say, if you've never done that before, if you're a person watching this and you've never put your hope and your trust in Christ, I actually want to invite you maybe to do that today. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your faith in him. He wants to transform you and he wants to renew you is what the Bible is going to teach us. So that's fourth. And here's the last one. You got to act. You got to actually do something. For those of us who follow Christ, this one is huge. Walk in obedience, even if you're not feeling it. And that's super important. Now this, I think in a lot of ways, that's what faith really is, isn't it? Now faith does not mean that you deny your feelings. That's not what it means. But faith does mean that if it's between following God or following my feelings, that I'm going to choose to follow God and I'm gonna to choose to follow him more than my feelings, to trust him more than the way I feel. However, that also doesn't mean that we ignore our feelings, right? We should acknowledge our feelings, we should explore them, we should invite God to reveal to us what that says about our heart and transform our heart to be more like his. But at the end of the day, ultimately we should follow him even if we're not feeling it. So our hearts are miscalibrated, right? We've learned that. It's only when we come to Christ to remagnetize our hearts that we can actually be transformed into the way that he originally designed us and truly intended. Let me pray together. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much that you've given us the Bible because it, it does. You know, we read it, but it reads us. And we see ourselves in this story. God, we are Jonah. And Father, we know that our affections have been miscalibrated from yours. And so we know that the only way that we can get a new heart is by coming to you and trusting you and following you. And so I want to ask that you would help us to do that in this unique, in this really wild time, Father. We know that it's a difficult time for many people, but at the same time, God, I think you're doing some really great work.
Sometimes it's by your grace that you tear down our leafy plants. And so, God, I pray that we turn our hearts to you. For those who are maybe engaging in this the first time, who are investigating you, God, I pray they'd see that you're good and that they would put their hope and faith in you. So we love you. I pray for a special blessing over every family and every person who's watching this. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.